Welcome to The Jay Martin Show. If you're new to the channel, my name is Jay Martin and I'm a retail investor probably just like you. I have three young kids, I run two small businesses. I'm just looking for the smartest home for my cash, probably just like you. Now today is the first day of a special series we are running here on the channel, focusing on the highest quality exposure in the gold sector. And my first guest is Randy Smallwood, who is the co-chair of the World Gold Council. He's also the president and CEO of Wheaton Precious Metals. Now, as the co-chair of the World Gold Council, nobody tracks gold acquisitions from a central bank level more than Randy Smallwood. Today, this is what we talk about. Who is buying gold and why? Fascinating conversation. I know that you're going to enjoy this. And as always, if you enjoy my content, I publish a weekly newsletter every Sunday, and I'd love to have you join the team of over 40,000 investors who hear from me every week. I share my greatest takeaways and lessons learned from conversations just like this and plenty others. Hit the link right beneath this video if you would like to subscribe. Now here is Randy Smallwood. Enjoy. I'm excited to chat with you. So uh, there are a handful of things I want to talk about with you today. You know, at a super high level, the question I want to ask and answer today is why gold? And that's a super simple and maybe juvenile question, but I think it's super timely uh, just given what I'm seeing develop from a narrative standpoint. What I'm seeing right now is a surge of mainstream media begin to have this conversation in response to maybe some of the developments that people like you have been watching for years and suddenly mainstream is catching it a little bit. And so I think it's a super timely conversation for me to have with you and get some perspective from, from your point of view on what really matters and what's really going on. Sounds great. Uh, you know, the, Timely, such a such a great word to be using. I sit and look at the uh, the fundamentals around the world right now, and I don't think there's a better time for gold. I, uh, uh, in my belief, it's the original critical mineral, and uh, and it's it's proving it, um, uh, and it will be proving it over the next while. So, uh, looking forward to it. Okay, excellent. So let's start with with who's buying gold right now, and I want to look at the central banks. You know, we wrapped up 2022 with uh, gold bugs making a huge. Uh, display of what occurred in, in the fourth quarter. We saw record central bank gold buying. 399 tons were acquired. Mm -hmm. And uh, that trend's only continued, right? Q1 of 2023 uh, is up 176% year over year on Q1 2022 in terms of central bank gold acquisitions. And, um, you know, we could speculate this is going to continue for the balance of the year. What struck me as super interesting is that, you know, we often have attributed central bank gold buying to Eastern Bloc countries, BRICS nations, but Singapore actually led the way in Q1. Yeah. So let's start with that. You know, what's behind the central bank acquisitions right now? Why is this trend continuing seemingly to heat up? Well, it's interesting because, you know, as, as chair of the World Gold Council, definitely a lot more uh, in, in depth um, uh, study on this. And, 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 uh, you know, we at the World Gold Council put on a pretty hefty, 
uh, education program for central bankers. We, we run programs, we run, we have it, you know, for over 20 years now, I've been running uh, education courses to the bankers that are actually working at these, at these uh, central banks to try and help them understand what gold can deliver in terms of a store of value on a go forward basis. And I will say that those, those courses are full. They are. <laughs> There's a lot of interest, even from the ones that aren't buying yet. They're sending teams in to understand more about what gold delivers. And so, so I think this is going to be a trend that just continues. Now, why has that happened? I, I, you know, I, I think when you sit and look at what happened last year with, with respect to the United States, you know, it's Russia, Ukraine, and, and the restrictions on the SWIFT system, um, you know, all of a sudden the U.S. dollar isn't as non-political or apolitical as what everyone thought. Uh, you know, they've realized that that U.S. dollar can be used as a political weapon. And, and if you sit and think about what, what's the responsibility of a central bank uh, in, in any sovereign nation, a central bank is there to, to have a store base of value, a reference of value that that, that country can, can build off of and can, and can you know, rank itself and rate itself. And if you have U.S. dollars in there, all of a sudden those U.S. dollars have a higher level of risk than what they've had, they've had in times past. I think that's one of the things that the U.S. dollar has had, um, you know, one of the attributes that it's had for so many years now is, is the fact that it's generally considered, you know, immutable, apolitical, um, you know, not subject. It's, it's the good old greenback. Uh, and, and I think now, you know, in fact, what we're seeing is central banks who have this responsibility of making sure that those reserves are solid and stable, and there is a foundation for those sovereign nations, are realizing that um, that you know perhaps that U.S. dollar is a bit riskier, and so a lot of them are stepping out of the U.S. dollar and maybe sort of spreading out uh, indexing, so to speak, picking up a bunch of other basket of currencies to try and sort of maintain the same type of exposure with respect to store of value, but limit their U.S. dollar direct U.S. dollar exposure. But what we are seeing, as I said, is is um, not only record purchasing of gold uh, by by central banks, but but the interest levels are higher than we've ever seen them too. Lots of, uh, lots of interest on that front. And so, um, so I, I just think it's going to continue growing. And, uh, the other aspect to that is, is I think there's, you know, the, the world is getting a little bit more, um, uh, I, I guess polarized from that perspective. There's a number of nations in the world that are looking to build up their own version of a reserve currency, so to speak. And, uh, I think if, if you look at the track record in terms of, you know, how the U.S. dollar has been treated by the United States from a, from a matter of uh, store of value uh, perspective, uh, that demand is also just going to continue growing. Right. So right. I, this is a trend that's going to continue going on because, you know, in the end, gold is truly the only apolitical form of currency that has got the highest level of liquidity acceptance around the world, uh, consistently everywhere on the world. Gold is treated as a as effective store of value uh, an effective measure of value and uh, which would make it the asset you would want to hold if we were in a transition period i mean what a great and i was interviewing jeff snyder recently who described gold exactly that way he said it's what people gravitate towards when they're shifting from one thing to the next especially if they don't know what next is yeah, right. yeah. I've, I've I've sat through a number of interviews when when uh, you know when things are bad, gold is good. 
Yeah. <laughs> and, and transition times. Change is, is always something that uh, people get a little bit nervous about. And, and so anytime you see changes like this, where you see a difference in our approach, um, gold is always going to be uh, the fallback. It's the place that we step back to. It's it, for, for thousands of years, it's been the consistent store and measure of value that, that society has used. And, and I haven't seen that change. It's the consistent reversion to the mean. I mean, that's, yeah. that's kind of the role it plays in the monetary system, right? Exactly. And just to add context to this central bank gold buying, we can look at Singapore. They bought 69 tons in Q1. For context, that's a 45% increase in their gold reserves. So these are really material rebalances in mm -hmm. their reserves. Uh, Iraq was another nation just last week and one day bought 2.5 tons, which doesn't seem like much. It was a 2% increase. But since last June, they've increased their gold holdings by 35%. Mm -hmm. You know, Iraq, it's OPEC's second largest oil producer. It's a significant commodity exporter. When we think about gold like that, it's where you go when things are shifting from one to the next, especially when you don't know what next is. Right. Can I ask you to elaborate on that a little bit? What are we shifting to? Why are we shifting from one to the other? And what do you think, what do you think these specifically BRICS nations, but any nation who's adding to their gold stores right now is concerned about? Well, and again, I think what we're shifting is, is away from the US dollar as the central reserve currency that has been referenced worldwide. And there was a lot of excitement when the euro came out. Uh, wow, you know, great sort of average of a, of a, of a population base that was very similar in terms of status and power and economic strength to the United States. Uh, and so a competitive space, but, you know, it's just hasn't proven up to be, um, you know, uh, to, to be able to take that role as reserve currency. And the U.S. dollar still has, um, has, that, has that title, but uh, the foundations are crumbling <laughs> right. on this reserve currency. And, and, and that's where we see, uh, you know, a, a good, strong and political or economic reasons as to why people are just countries are a, a bit nervous about wrapping themselves around this U.S. dollar. So what do I see? I see a movement away from the U.S. dollar as the central reserve currency. The unknown is what's going to replace it. Now, some of the efforts that we've got going on at the World Gold Council right now may, may help, uh, well, will definitely be part of the solution. It's a matter of, and it'll be up to society in, in, the, in, in the sense of how far it goes as a solution, but, but we really do think that gold should become a bit more accessible from this stage. Um, when you sit and look at how, how ownership of gold is, is you know, uh, uh, ownership in gold really hasn't changed for decades in terms of, uh, I think the creation of the ETFs back in, in the early 2000s was probably the last sort of significant change in terms of you know, how, how an investor, how people can actually uh, store their wealth in gold and, 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 and invest into gold. And other than that, it really hasn't changed. Um, you know, I still look at, you know, five-day settlement periods for, for gold exchanges, stuff like that. In today's digital world, there's absolutely no reason why that shouldn't be able to happen instantly. And, and so, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the effort that we're putting in, we've, we've got an initiative at the World Gold Council called um, Gold 247 which stands for 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, and, and the whole objective of Gold 247 is to increase the accessibility, the, the trust, the fungibility, uh, the, the provenance, the, uh, the, you know, in reality, the most important thing is trust and accessibility um, and, and to really step up uh, what, 
what we in the gold industry deliver to to uh, to investors out there and to and it's not just investors we're talking we're talking about everyone it's a it's a it's a currency right and 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 being able to take gold to the point of where it can be again the reserve currency um it wouldn't be any different than having you know going back to the gold standard which was essentially what the US dollar was it was a gold backed currency up until the gold standard was dropped right and and i i think this experiment is um is you know <laughs> failing uh, to put to, to be polite coming be to honest. its natural end yeah coming to its natural right. end and we're going to have to go back to something that has a as that is referenced to a hard asset a hard immutable asset that that is is apolitical uh, doesn't is not subject to political influence and has uh, strong liquidity is accepted everywhere um you know that's that's one of the beauties of 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 gold is is you know from from the you know the deepest darkest villages in africa to to the farthest northern parts of 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 russia and and, and north america everyone understands knows and values gold and understands what it is and 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 so if if we're successful in this Gold 247 initiative, uh, well, and we will be successful, the technology's there. It's a matter of just taking the technology and applying it. And so it's, it, to be able to bring forward and, and make gold uh, uh, an asset, uh, actually more of a currency than an asset, and, and yeah. having, it, having it so it's so readily um, accessible and easy to trade and easy to use. And so... The next time I'm in a, a foreign country and I drop my credit card in to uh, a machine and ask me if I want to pay in Canadian dollars or, or British pounds or, or euros, maybe one of the options will ultimately be or pay in gold tokens. Um, and, and it should, there's no reason why we can't get there. Can I ask you, what is missing from the psychology of, I'll, I'll just say Westerners when it comes to gold ownership? I mean, you touched on that. And if you look at cons consumption, like consumer demand for gold right now, I think 25% comes from China, 23% from India, almost half from those two countries. And there's really no Western countries that are in that mix aside from Germany. They're at like 6%. And that makes sense. You know, they're, they're near relatives remember hyperinflation. So there's a relationship there. What's missing from the psychology of Westerners? Are we just too close to the U.S. and the world reserve currency narrative? Yeah. to understand the value of gold. I think it's faith and trust in mm. your in your central governments and in, in the governments in terms of, you know, confidence. If you let sit and look at China and India, um, you know, the concern when it when it comes to individuals and wanting to preserve value and having having, you know, total faith and confidence in those central banks in those countries or in those central governments in those countries. Uh, there's not a lot of, there's nowhere near the same level of trust as what you see in the in the western um, Western uh, uh, countries, as you see in North America and Europe, and so that trust is eroding. That's what we're seeing here right now is is the lack of confidence. And so I do think that 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 society is looking for alternatives. Uh, I would argue that, and, and I don't don't want to go down this rabbit hole, but I would argue that some of the success of crypto is society looking for alternatives, right? Trying to find a way to back away from having to have faith in your local governments to, 
to backstop the currency that you're uh, that you're being compensated in, that you're storing your value in, that you're assessing, you know, relative value of assets with, um, you know, uh, that that trust is eroding rapidly, and I think that's the big difference, and that's why in China and India and a lot of other jurisdictions around the world, gold is still so incredibly important, is because because they just they they've seen how bad it can can get with respect to, you know, um, government. Uh, um, initiatives that destroy value in the end and, and sort of target, uh, uh, um, you know, savings, et cetera, and such like that. And so, so, you know, I think that's probably the biggest difference. And, and, and you're right. Half, half the demand for gold on the retail side is India and China. Very, very important for us. We have the World Gold Council. We have large offices and large presences in both countries, um, making sure that we continue to educate. Uh, and I would say we've had great success there. It makes sense. If you lack trust in the currency issuer, you look to the currency with zero counterparty risk. You mentioned that trust is eroding in the West. And I agree with you. You know, that's why I create content like this. People often, not often, every once in a while, I get somebody who's like, oh, Jay's a bit of a gold bug. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm a simplicity <laughs> bug. Like, I just like things to be simple. That's why I like gold. Yeah. I like gold steak and push-ups for the same reason, right? It's just simple. What's eroding the trust, though, in the West? Why, why is trust eroding in, in either central bank authority, trust in politicians, trust in the value of the currency? What are some catalysts? Look at the, look at the fiscal performance of these, these countries, these governments. Um, you know, the, the whole concept of balancing a budget, uh, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's beyond, it's gone. It's just not there anymore. And so, so the, the lack of fiscal responsibility in terms of how governments are, are managing their, their, you know, one of the challenges that we have in democracies is that politicians, they don't, they don't look long term because they have to think about the next election. And so, you know, the longest term, any politicians look about four or five years out. Um, so it's, it's really tough to sort of make a long term decision that might have some short term pain. But we'll pay rewards in the long run, 10, 15, 20 years out. There's not a single politician out there that, that has that type of vision. They can't afford it. Right. They don't get reelected. I think there's, you know, um, I think what we, what we suffer from a bit as a society is, uh, we're, we, we're pretty short term. We, we think a lot short term. And, uh, you know, I think one of the reasons I've been so successful in, in, in the business that, that I'm running is that, that I do have a real respect for, the longer term value, you know, what's this going to be like 20, 30, 40 years from now? Is it still going to be delivering value to us and to our shareholders at, at Wheaton? That, that's something that really comes into play. It's, it's, um, but we do suffer from that in, in, I think, Western societies in terms of, you know, what's in it for me now? Um, not what's in it for me 10 years from now or five years from now. And that's a real challenge because what that, what that leads governments towards is fiscal um, well, I, I'm going to say fiscal suicide. It, it's going to get to that level, right? They continue to spend more than they take in and they continue to print more than, than what they deserve to and than what they should. And that is essentially inflation is that the reference currency that you're looking at, irrespective of which currency it is, um, is going to suffer inflationary pressure. It's going to continue to devalue over time. That's not where you want to have your savings. That's where not, that's not where investors want to have their store of value. Right. right. And, 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 and I, it's a, it's a challenge that, 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 you know, once we've given governments that freedom to sort of print, 
it's the uh, you know it's 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 like a bit of an addiction they just keep on course <laughs> wanting to print more and more and uh yeah. and so uh you know i love your comments on simplicity because uh i'm a strong believer in that kiss principle which is you know um it it should be solid it should be real it should be immutable uh that's what gold is and, and that's why it's going to continue to have, a, I think, a bigger and bigger presence as this experiment in fiat currencies fails. Yeah. As it has every time. Every, every time, yeah. right? And yes. every time there's that lifeboat you can go to when things shift from one to the next. I think you could have bought a luxury suit in the 1920s for about one ounce of gold. Mm. And today you can buy a luxury suit for about one ounce of gold, which is the definition of retaining purchasing power. Yeah. I've, one of the ones I've heard is the, uh, you know, the salary of a... Uh, of a, a legionnaire in the Roman armies uh, isn't too much different than the salary of, of you know, uh, you know, one of the mid-range soldiers in in today's today's armies. In, when pressure in gold, in, in yeah. gold, yeah, in gold, right? So, okay, I have to ask you to comment on if you look at the gold holdings of central banks all over the world. Up at the top, you see the United States with over eight thousand tons. Mm -hmm. If you scroll all the way down to the very very bottom. There's five <laughs> countries with a big zero yeah. in terms of their gold ownership. It's embarrassing, isn't one it? One of which is Canada. Yes. One of which is Canada. I would say Canada's also a country where that erosion of trust is peaking right now. Mm -hmm. Do you have any comments on our gold reserves lack thereof? And, and does that make us vulnerable? Should we be concerned about that? Well, there's no doubt that Canada rides a lot of the United States wave. Um, you know, as the United States moves, so does Canada. Uh, you know, the by far our largest trading partner. And, and so, you know, I think generally when I sit and think about the, the Bank of Canada, probably the most important number to them is what's the exchange rate between the Canadian dollar and the American dollar. And that's all they worry about um, in terms of focusing on to try and keep Canada competitive with respect to your biggest neighbor next door. So, you know, we've got this big brother next door, an incredibly huge brother, 10 times our size, more than 10 times our size in terms of impact. And, and I think we just disappear into that and, and it allows the government to get away with it, so to speak, because the currency will always be, you know, trading. And obviously, you know, oil has a, has an impact on the Canadian dollar. But in, in reality, we don't trade too far off of the US dollar. And I think they're comfortable with riding that wave. Um, and, and in a sense, because gold is, or because the US dollar does have some of the biggest, uh, central bank gold reserves or the biggest of, of all of them. But I mean, you know, there's no doubt there's a bit of a spillover benefit that Canada gets from that, I think. Um, I don't agree with it. I, I really do think that Canada needs to stand on its own in this sense. I've had discussions with uh, some of the senior politicians and finance ministers and, uh, and, and such here in Canada. And they, 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 you know, maybe we should at the World Gold Council spend more time sending our, uh, our, uh, our, our educators over to sort of, you know, expand on it because there just doesn't seem to be much of an appetite. It's just, we're so woven into the, into the American economy that, that, you know, I think we hide underneath that, that wave. That makes sense. And that's my assumption. You but know, it, it is the antithesis of sovereignty, right? It, to yeah. sort of say, well, we're yeah. good if they're good. Right. right. And they seem like they're good. So I guess we're good too. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, how long do you want to, uh, not stand on your own and not be able to stand on your own? Right. right? In a country that is laden with all the commodities that the world needs or so many of them. We're right? a resource nation, right? We should be, we should be one of the strongest and we should lead by example in this case, right. uh, as opposed to following. And, uh, so yeah, it is, it is, 
it is frustrating from from my perspective as a gold bug i will say i'm a gold bug uh it is frustrating that canada has zero um but uh you know and i i feel like there's a whole episode there just on the uh decision making of politicians who think in two or four year cycles and that's a, that's a big problem right mm-hmm. and we could spend another hour just on that but i do want to get back to a couple things here so let's look at the brics nations singapore did buy a lot of gold in q1 mm-hmm. but Generally speaking, the majority of acquisitions have come from BRICS nations or BRICS-friendly nations mm-hmm. over the last 18 months. Um, the New Development Bank, formerly the BRICS Bank, is now exploring various currency alternatives, some of which would be a gold-backed currency or a basket of commodities-backed currencies. Does this open up an attack vector on gold from media in the West who could begin to vilify it and say gold is a tool of BRICS nations. The same way we saw when, when crypto began to rise and initially it was like, oh, it's a, this, um, you know, cyberpunk tool. Don't worry about it. And then, oh, it's actually a criminal currency used on the Silk Road. And, and then, oh, it's actually a massive drain on energy resources. And all of these, vil- you know, um, narratives built to vilify crypto, uh, and, and keep it hidden. Now, could you expect some kind of an attack from Western media on gold ownership in order to combat uh, the growth of the BRICS nations? Yeah, but I think in defense of that, the U.S. dollar itself or the U.S. central bank gold reserves itself are, are by far the highest in the country. Yeah. And, and so, you know, the defense, that, that I, the attack will happen. I'm sure it will okay. because, because okay. this represents a shift in power. Interesting. And anytime there's a shift in power, there's going to be a defensive reaction. Any type of offensive move, uh, you know, will have a, a defensive. And so it'll, you know, I would, I would argue that it'll be a, a defensive move to try and reinforce the strength of the U.S. dollar as to, you know, attacking the fact that gold is piling up into this um, alternative, cent- you know, uh, this potential alternative uh, reserve currency. Um, but, you know, all you have to do is point look back at the US dollar and the fact that it's got such high gold holdings. And and I do think that that's one of the reasons that it has been successful as a reserve currency is because of that that good, strong core base in gold holdings. Um, and so it's pretty tough to argue that, that you know, any other currency that's stepping up to, to, to copy the US dollar and, and, or the US central banks, uh, the Federal Reserve, um, you know, pretty tough to, I mean, that being said, we're talking media here. And so there, yeah. there will be attacks that, that try and vilify gold that way. You know, uh, I think we, you know, we need to continue highlighting, you know, what gold truly delivers, uh, and, and try and elevate to the, to the public, you know, the, the real value that gold actually does deliver to society. And, and we're probably not doing as good a job at that as we should be in, in especially in Western uh, cultures, you know, as, 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 as we've uh, already talked about. And so, you know, we need to continue to amp up the value, the real value, as I said, to reinforce why, why gold is truly a critical mineral in terms of, uh, of what it actually delivers to society. And, and as, as long as we do that, that should help against those attacks in terms of uh, you know its acceptance as to why gold is there. That being said, anyone that's 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 anchored or rooted into the U.S. dollar is going to get nervous when they see the BRICS nations step up and 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 start trying to come up with a real alternative. Um, you know, it, it's going to be interesting because the I think the euro was an interesting experiment in that. And I, I really do think it was an attempt to try and come up with an offset, a competitive cur- currency that 
you know, a broad section of, of, of countries that sort of averaged out various, you know, productivities and, uh, and, and, and different countries to try and come up with something that had some strength of backing. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a, a partnership is really interesting when your interests aren't aligned, aren't totally aligned. And, you know, the objective with the BRICS nations is obviously come up with a different reserve currency. But when I go down that list of those countries, there's a very big difference in terms of ideologies within those countries. And, right. and, and, you know, I think if I, if there was going to be a success in that space, it should have been the euro. Um, although I would, you know, there wasn't a commitment towards gold as, as to build a firm backing behind it. They felt that just a collection of these different nations within the EU would, uh, would be able to give it enough strength in terms of Germany's strength offsetting other weaknesses at certain times and such like this. Um, and so, you know, perhaps the success on this BRICS initiative will be the fact that it's, it will have more gold involved in it. And, and so perhaps a stabler base to it than, than what the Euro had. But, um, but the different ideologies in that group, um, you know, I mean, I, I just don't know how well that would work in a long-term basis. That's a really interesting point. I don't think that gets enough attention yeah. because if you think about it, yeah, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, yeah. in terms of political, uh, cultural, religious I think ideology, the only thing they share is they're nervous about the U.S. dollar. Fair, yeah. That's the only thing they really share when you sit and look at it. And, and so that's why, you know, that doesn't get talked about enough. It's, uh, it's something that, that I think will, will ultimately, I'm not going to say doom it to fail because I think the more gold they have backing it, the, the more it'll stand on that gold versus on the, on, on the contributions of the different countries uh, right. from a stability perspective. Right. But, um, but, um, you know, that'll be, that'll be one of the big hurdles that they have to get over. And it's counter to the most common headline regarding BRICS right now, which is that they might be expanding, right? There's something mm -hmm. like 17 nations that have allegedly raised their hand to join BRICS. I don't really know what that means. Apparently, 12 have submitted applications, mm -hmm. and the foreign ministers of the five BRICS nations have agreed to decide in August whether or not they'll accept new members. Yeah. Um, I know one nation they've been courting aggressively, aggressively is Saudi Arabia, which I can't imagine would join. I, I imagine Saudi Arabia will, will play both sides, right? Mm -hmm. Like, why wouldn't mm -hmm. they? Yeah. Uh, but so many headlines when discussing BRICS talk about BRICS expansion, BRICS becoming, you know, a competitor in the East and a more influential platform. Mm -hmm. Um, what you bring up is, you know, the, the critical error with centralized authority is that you have diversity of ideologies. And when you try to centralize power, in, inevitably you put a magnifying glass on the divisions, right? And they fracture. There will be conflict in there. There will be, yeah, yeah there, there'll be a conflict in terms of how things move forward there that, that um, it'll be very, very tough to, for them to manage that. So that opens up its own attack vectors for the West if they were to. I mean, you know, the U.S. right now has economic sanctions on 30 countries. Mm -hmm. And um, they sanctioned the U.S. dollar reserves of Russia last year. That was a big one, right? Mm -hmm. That was like a big door they opened. Once that oh. door's opened, the door's open. And the yeah. second time's easier, third time's even easier, right? Yeah. And I've been curious. About but I do think that was the trigger in terms of what we've seen yeah. from a lot of these banks uh, shifting away from that. Yeah, there's no doubt that that. And, you know, and I, I wonder if they fully understood the ramifications of... I always of, wondered that. Yeah. I always wondered I, that. I don't think they would have uh, expected, you know, all the way, the downstream impact of this and what's going to have on the U.S. dollar. No. I think it's been a bit of a surprise. To but them. in terms of sending a message to the world, 
that mm-hmm. your U.S. dollars aren't what you thought they were. Yeah. That was the way to do it, yeah. right? Yeah. And in that regard, in hindsight, it's so simple. It's like that had to have been intentional. Yeah. But I mean, we're thinking yeah. in two and four year cycles here. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Exactly. Because I've been curious if we'll begin to see an expansion of sanctions through any BRICS or BRICS-friendly nations as a consequence of them submitting applications to join this alliance and create some kind of a competitive platform to the UN, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wouldn't be surprised, but, you know, once again, would it even be necessary? Will this thing collapse under its own weight? Yeah, uh, you know... We're talking politics here and, and politicians. There's always going to be alliances that uh, have strength and, you know, various strengths and, and alignment. You know, I, again, every time I ever look at anything like that, even in business, whenever you're looking at any type of alliances, you know, you have to sit and think about how common are the members, like how much commonality yeah. do they have? 100%. That's, that's the number one factor in terms of determining, you know, how long that, that alliance is going to survive and how strong that alliance is going to be. Because when you get down into the trenches, that's when you want to have true partners beside you that, that you're aligned in your beliefs. You right. don't have varying levels of commitment. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, um, there's, there's always going to be pushes down that path. Again, you know, our, our hope is when it comes to, you know, we're talking about central banks and reserves and store of value, that if we can get, get to the point where we get back to a, a, a non-politically aligned gold-backed currency, this all becomes irrelevant. Right. And, and the technology's there. Um, you know, to get to the point where you can have a, a, a true gold-backed token uh, that becomes a currency that, that allows, uh, you know, that, that is fungible, that has got good provenance behind it. Essentially, you know, gold, and one of the beautiful things about gold as a, as a, as a commodity is that it's, it's circular. We don't waste it. It just continues to get used and recycled and used. Now you get to the point where you can actually have a digital equivalent, a dig- digital certificate that replicates, uh, gold somewhere in a vault and you, you're, confident that it's backed by that gold yeah. that's you know one of the key things you have full confidence that it's backed by by organizations like the world gold council or even broader organizations we're in the process of trying to put together what we call an international gold forum the, the world gold council really represents the mining industry and the and, and the streaming industry um um its membership doesn't go as far as the refiners the traders the vaulters the 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 the, the bullion banks um and so, you know, we're, we're hoping to come forward with a proposal, an option that will be apolitical, truly apolitical. It's based on gold, backed on gold. It's fractionable. It's got full fungibility. It's got full provenance track record. We've, we've already started off with a gold bar integrity program um, that, that will allow you, uh, and in fact, we've had some, some, you know, some good uptake in terms of this, where, where we're basically all gold production and gold refining is now being entered into a, a, a uh, blockchain-based system that tracks where the gold came from, tracks what the economic benefits were from wherever that mine was, the provenance track record behind that mine. To give that confidence, we have these systems in place. Uh, and the next step is to come out with a token that, that will essentially become a currency that is apolitical. It's not aligned with any political uh, jurisdictions, any any sovereign nations. It's it's just uh, a digitalization of gold that's readily movable, 
and backed by an international uh, gold forum or, or a similar type association, it really takes all of these other discussions, right? It makes them regionalized. It makes them sideshows. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and and so the you know the potential is incredible in terms of where we could actually take this to the point of where, and if if you can get you you know I mean you could you can actually trade in gold right now, but typically your fees are pretty high. If we can get it down to the point where it's as cheap or cheaper than the current cost of capital or in cash, you know, I mean, every time we use a credit card, it's two to three percent. Right. If you can get exchanging gold down to those kind of numbers or even less than that in terms of moving around digital gold tokens, why wouldn't it take over as the main central currency, the main reserve currency? Right. And, um, and I just think the potential here, I, you know, I can tell you that we at the World Gold Council are incredibly excited about where we can take this because of where we see these challenges, the BRICS nations coming forward, these, uh, the, the, you know, the, the, the weakness of the U.S. dollar, the political, I mean, it's, it's time for the gold standard again, uh, but we can do such a better do- job of delivering that gold standard today than we, than we, in, than we did 60 years ago. Right. So. Now, at this point in Gold 247's lifespan, can you tell where the geographic interest is highest? Or is it too early to make that assessment? Uh, well, I'm, I'm going to say it's uh, geographically. It's, it's interesting. I mean, what we're our, our whole approach is we want to build this from the institutional side out. We don't. We don't want to. We didn't want to start off at the retail side because we feel if we work on the institutional level, it'll spill into the retail space. Yeah. And and what we do have is is a lot of the bullion banks and the main bullion traders, etc., are are um, are are struggling with archaic systems of trading commodities. Gold still is traded generally as a commodity amongst these banks. Um, and, and what we're trying to do is come up with a solution that allows them to digitally move this around so that you can speed up, you can have atomic instant settlement instead of, you know, all these other archaic systems and being able to move this, this digital significant around instantly. We're in the process of working down that path. We've got good uptake with respect to a lot of the main bullion banks out there because they, they not only recognize there needs to be change. We've seen all sorts of challenges. Uh, you know, last year, the LME nickel incident, you know, there's a lot of challenges with the way commodities are moved. Um, and, and there's just a, there's, there's good pressure on the central bank or sorry, the bullion banks. Uh, and the commodities trading banks to try and modernize their system. And so what we're trying, trying to do is work from there to come up with a system to digitalize how you move gold around, gold ownership around. Once we get that uh, uh, in there so that we're partners, so that the, they're co-authors with respect to what we're trying to do, what we've essentially done is created a currency. And that's when we'll push out on the retail side. And so, so we're deep into those discussions right now, um, with a lot of the central, uh, a lot of, with a lot of the bullion banks, the JP Morgans, the Goldman's, the HSBC, the ICBC, a lot of the biggest, uh, bullion banks in the world to try and modernize that whole process and come up with a, essentially a gold token, a standardized gold unit token, an SGU, we call it, um, that, that will then, be the measure of whatever uh, gold we have referenced on our blockchain system. And that we'll be able to move fractionalized certificates around, i.e. dollars and cents um, yeah. that represent this on a go forward basis. And so we're hopeful that within the next uh, couple of years to be able to present that on a broader basis um, 
by first bringing in the you know the the institutional infrastructure and sort of bringing that to the point of where it gets accepted and i think you know the appetite the interest levels that we've seen is high in the space there needs to be a change there's pressure from the regulators there's pressure from from their own systems they realize that 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 it's time to upgrade and time to update how these how these are changed around and and so you know the spillover to create this currency um which which essentially is these same digitalized certificates that represent and are backed by gold guaranteed by you know at, at the very least the world gold council but we have a, a very broad spectrum of support right now in terms of pushing this forward um you know i think our whole approach is to start at the institutional side and try and expand it out from there versus try and push it on to the you know we we feel that that um it's going to be tough to get a lot of these uh, trading institutions to embrace it if it's coming at them from the outside in. Agree. Try and do it from the inside out. Yeah. And so that's the stage we're at right now. And I can tell you the interest level is very high. The uptake level is is very high. And so we're running a lot of. We've got a, as I mentioned the gold bar integrity programs ongoing right now, and we're we're building the infrastructure. Uh, but we're trying to bring along a lot of these institutions so that they're co-author to this. And and if they get a sense of co-ownership with it, it dramatically increases our chances of, of being successful. The technology's there. It's, it's, everything is in place. And so now what we have to do is come up with a non, and, and, and trust me, there have been companies out there that have offered up services like this. The problem is they're generally driven for profit. We at the World Gold Council aren't driven for profit here. We're an advocate for gold. Right. We're an advocacy group and an education group, but that's our responsibility. And so what we're trying to do is push away to make this so that it's actually not so much profit driven in terms of trying to get you to change and exchanging gold and taking six, eight percent off every time you make a, a it's, it's trying to make it so that it, it actually represents a new currency. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, um, you know, having having that institutional uptake, uh, um, very very important for us, and I think it'll build us a good firm base. It's really interesting, and you made a comment maybe uh, ten minutes ago about you know we're we're ready for um, a gold backed currency again. Mm-hmm. You know, there's we're we're at this point in history where this makes a lot of sense again. Yeah. And granted, at certain points it makes more sense than others, but if I look at the <laughs> cultural narratives that are peaking right now, there's a lot focused on independence and sovereignty, whether it's trends like people leaving urban centers and moving to smaller towns. It's a symbol of just simplifying your personal supply chain. Uh, There's a trend of off-grid living, of homesteading, of hobby farms. I'm seeing this through my communities quite widespread. Now, I don't want to raise the cow and fix my car, but I'm happier if I know the people who raise the cow and can fix my car. Like I'm, I'm not going to go full homestead, but I moved from downtown Vancouver to a town of 20,000 people yeah. three years ago. I'm part of this wave. Now I'm not some novel thinker or trendsetter. Typically when I'm doing something, it's because, because a wave of other people are doing it too. And, and gold is that monetary example, right? When I look through all the buckets of how we how we interact with life when it comes to finance. Gold is that simplification of the supply chain. It's knowing exactly what it is and who owns it, mm-hmm. right? And you remove all the complexity. So I, I think the timing is is riper now than it's ever been in my life. Um, 
Now, I want to pivot back to sentiment to wrap this up because you just got, I mean, it seems like every time I talk to you, you just got back from a couple of weeks traveling, <laughs> right? And you did as well. I think yeah. you got back yesterday and you were most recently at a conference in Barcelona. Early this morning, actually. <laughs> Early this morning. Yeah. Okay. Slept on the jet. Here you yeah, are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, talk to me about sentiment because you're large. I mean, you're talking about wheat and precious metals, of course. When institutions want to get back to the metal, you know, they'll start with physical. And then if they're still feeling risk averse, they'll get into the streaming companies because they're protected from a lot of the uh, risk. Uh, cost increases and the risks and all this stuff. So where are you gauging sentiment right now based on the dozens and dozens of conversations that you're having throughout the world with capital allocators? Look, over the last um, probably year, we have seen a dramatic increase in new faces. Uh, off at all these investor conferences, stuff like that, we're batting probably around 25% are funds that we haven't seen before. Um, and so, you know, and, and again, to just expand on, on what you're describing, as, as a streaming company, we represent a very low risk way to invest into the mining space. And, and the lowest risk way, of course, is buying bullion. But the problem with buying bullion is the only thing you've got is price exposure. It doesn't grow. You, you're, you're only getting that benefit. But the next step up from a risk perspective is a streaming company where, where you're getting exposure to not only the, the, the price, but also the organic growth that you might see at these sites, the expansion potential you see at these sites. Um, and and you don't have the cost risk that you normally have with the traditional mining investment, uh, you know, our capital costs and everything's defined. And so, you know, this is a nice way for, for people to step into the space and get, you know, get more comfortable with it. And I can tell you that just even last week in, in Europe, uh, met with about four or five different groups that, that are, you know, I've been assigned uh, precious metals. Okay. And, and they're new to this space and they look at the spectrum and say, you know, um, I, I like coming into the streaming space because this is a good way for me to learn more about the, you know, the, the other upside that you can get from a well-run mining company yep. without taking on the cost risk yeah. and, and, and deliver that going forward. And so, so, you know, um, as I said, we're seeing probably 20, 25% of the, of the meetings that we're having are fresh faces, fresh funds. Um, you know, uh, about three weeks ago, I did a trip through Asia. Finally, after COVID, finally got back to to doing our, our sort of annual uh, uh, Asian marketing trip. And I can tell you the appetite levels higher than I've ever seen. Uh, and that was Australia, Asia, I should add. Australia, uh, and in fact, probably the biggest difference we saw was down in Australia. Huge, huge changes down there. Um, Australia is interesting because it's, uh, you know, it, it it traditionally had limits in terms of being able to invest outside of Australia, and those limits were relaxed about three or four years ago. And so there's a real hunger to try and find good quality opportunities outside of Australia itself. And so, so we had a, you know definitely a lot of interest there. But we are seeing uh, we are seeing generalists come back into the space, um, but they're cautious. Uh, I, I'm going to say the industry has had a long history of of overpromising and underdelivering with respect to cost you know, on the mining side. Yep. Um, and, and, and until we, until we get rid of that reputation, there's always going to be caution when it comes to new faces coming into the, into the space. Um, and I, and I like to think of the streaming companies as being a way to sort of step from just owning raw bullion up and get a bit more knowledgeable about the mining space without having the same level of risks and, and still deliver uh, a lot of the upside that you get in a good mining investment. Um, and, and so, uh, 
uh, you know, this is this is a trend that hasn't uh, slowed down at all. But it it really, I think I really saw it starting to pick up about a year and a half ago. And that's when we really started seeing the change. And it's been getting stronger and stronger all the time. Can I ask you to speculate on how you see that trend evolving? Because I see the interest in metal increasing, but I don't know if I see a tolerance for risk increasing, just given the geopolitical environment. What do you think about that? Ah, the the uh, the index funds have have, have really, um, you know, there's been a real push towards people uh, avoiding risk, and I agree. That's it's it's not the way we should be going. Uh, you know, I, to me, what I like is 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 if you if you got fund managers, they shouldn't be chasing indexes. They should be looking for those unique opportunities, those strong companies written by strong management teams that have a good track record in terms of delivering good value. All we have to do is lead. We, we have to deliver that. And, and those examples will convert over, right? But, but we just need a, a few more successes where we can actually deliver that kind of value back to investors. And, and that'll, that'll bring them back. But what I, what I have seen is, you know, really over the last 10 years, a real shift towards, you know, riding the wave. Uh, I don't, I don't necessarily want to be the top performer. I'm happy to just stay in the index fund, average everything out and sort of ride that wave on a go forward basis. And it just, it's, it's, uh, it, it makes it tough because even as a CEO of a company, um, you know, when I outperform, I don't get rewarded by the index funds because I'm, you know, in, in a short term basis overall, you should see that, uh, you know, that, that, you know, normalize and catch up. But when I outperform or when I underperform, and I hate to say it, you know, uh, index investors aren't anywhere near as, uh, um, punitive or rewarding as, as a good old selective investor that actually studies the companies on an individual basis and goes forward. And I, I, I much prefer not being that side. I mean, the index is, is even from a company perspective, it's a bit of a, uh, a, a free ride so to speak, because you get to ride on how everyone else does in that index versus standing on your own. And uh, I, <laughs> yeah, you, you've known me long enough. I'd much prefer to stand up and be judged <laughs> on my own. <laughs> well, that's, that's a great segue to maybe how I'll conclude this. You know, you mentioned your role within the World Gold Council is to advocate for gold. Mm-hmm. You know, I would say, I, I think, yes, also it's you're advocating for people to stand on their own, mm-hmm. which is that's the utility of gold in, it, from my perspective. It goes back to the, the to the uh, extensive trust that we've had in our in our, our governments and our central banks in the West. And uh, I think if you look at the track record and, and the value that's been destroyed and, uh, and, and you know, chipped away at for the last 60 years, um, that's what's gonna, that's what we need as a society is we need to bring it back to a, a good solid reference like the gold standard. And so uh, my prediction is that will come. Um, we at the World Gold Council are doing everything we can to deliver that product. Um, and, uh, and I think it's, uh, I think it's exciting times here over the next, well, for the gold industry, it's, it's going to be very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Look, Randy, I want to thank you for making the time to chat with me today, straight from the airport to the studio, <laughs> your machine. I love it. And I'm very appreciative. Thank you. Jay, always a pleasure. Thank you. If you enjoy my content, do me a favor, follow or subscribe to this podcast, drop me a rating and a review and share this with a friend. All of these things allow me to get bigger and better guests on the show. Now you can catch me all over social media at jmartinbc. Thanks for tuning in.